Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw and welcome back to the Vibe Show. Today I'm doing this topic. We're talking about how Bitcoin is going to change the world for the better and faster than you think. And you may think, gosh, Robin, weren't you just like a year and a half ago talking about health and wellness and all the new information coming out, new studies, new books coming out about health and wellness? And 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 I was, I was, and I went to 450 cities all over North America teaching people about green smoothies. Uh, gosh, when was that? Like, I think I started 11 years ago. No, 13 years ago, I think. And I did it for six years. For six years, I went to 450 cities. Here I was, a single mom raising four kids by myself, full custody, single mom. And I was in eight cities in North America a month. Um, every two weeks, I would go out on lecture tour because people would make this simple change in their lives and it was completely life-changing for them. So I'm feeling that old familiar call, that sort of that watchman on the tower, uh, maybe a familiar metaphor for you if you're a Christian, where I feel like there's something that I have learned that I need to teach other people. I'm feeling that pull because I truly believe that Bitcoin is going to change the world. Cryptocurrencies, blockchain, yes. Some of you are like, wait a minute, Robin, didn't you do a three and a half hour interview of Alison McDowell, who basically said that blockchain is going to destroy the world? Well, yes and no. There are people who would use blockchain to control us, especially to control the poor. Um, but you know what? I'm here to, today to tell you that blockchain also has the power to free the poor. And I believe that it will. Blockchain, specifically Bitcoin. So you know what it is? You know what Bitcoin is? It's giving people the option of opting out of government money. Okay. Opting out of the, you know, exclusive on money. You know, we, we, uh, invest in different things. We have a portfolio of different investments, but for some reason, it's normal to us that all of our money, all of our currency is in one thing, right? For instance, the U.S. dollar. And how much sense does that make? Especially as you see how many threats to the U.S. dollar we have right now. So, and I, I'm going to touch today on layer two, um, options, apps, developments, technologies that are coming out especially the lightning network. So so it, with Bitcoin as that base layer, that layer one, uh, what is happening on layer two is beyond exciting. And it's, it's making Bitcoin really uh, take hold and uh, billionaires all over the world and institutions all over the world are investing in Bitcoin. But, but more importantly than that, you know, Bitcoin is for the rich and Bitcoin is for the middle class, but Bitcoin is for the poor. Um, I, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode today is that, you know, we hired several coaches who are very well versed in, in crypto shout out to Caprice and Morgan and Jamie who've joined us over in our, uh, take action for freedom or TAF insiders mastermind. If you guys haven't joined us yet, I haven't even written the green smoothie girl, uh, email list about it yet, but we've got a great group in Facebook. We're about to launch our, um, private, uh, membership site because that's a lot more secure than Facebook, right? Like having a business that's on Facebook is like building a house in Australia when you don't own the land that's underneath you. And 
And uh, nobody knows that better than me because I've been on Facebook now for 13 years and I'm constantly in Facebook jail and being told that my content is wrong and uh, all kinds of things. You guys already know this. So one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode today is kind of to make it up to people in the TAF Insiders Mastermind because on Wednesday this week, I am sitting here right now on the floor in my house in Park City, surrounded by boxes. Um, I'm in process of moving out and I kind of wanted to give a little gift to those who subscribe to the TAF Insiders Mastermind, uh, where we have a great community going and we've got these crypto coaches, like I said. Well, we have a crypto coach who's very, very privacy oriented. We'll talk about how there's four different types that I can, that I can think of, of the people who invest in Bitcoin or who are interested in the crypto world. And I'll even tell you which one or two of those I am. Um, and you can think about which one you are. Why, why are you here and interested in listening? Um, to learn more about Bitcoin and the whole revolution that is going to radically change property and money and change life as we know it for the people of the world. But we, we call this guy Alex. He didn't want to give a name. Um, and he didn't want to work for me unless I could pay, pay him in crypto. But I didn't know that until an hour before his, uh, Facebook live that he was going to do this week. So here we're supposed to do this Facebook live at 6 PM mountain time. And our members of our mastermind are excited about it because we were talking about coin control, which is a super important subject. And, um, an hour before he says, you could, you're going to pay me in crypto, right? And I said, no, we're not, we're not set up for that. We're a little health and wellness business. And, you know, we started this crypto education business just what a month ago. And, um, you know, we haven't even fully launched yet. We're in our beta launch and, you know, I think we have 160 members so far. Um, it's been really exciting. I think we've all learned a lot. Um, I think the members are getting a ton of value out of it, but now I'm, I'm not set up to pay you in crypto. And he bailed on me. He wouldn't do the presentation. And so I don't want to criticize him in bringing this up. Um, we call him Alex. It's not his real name. He's not from the United States. He is a native English speaker, but, um, that's all I'll say about him because he's one, you know, when I get to the four categories of people who are interested in Bitcoin, he's like the privacy. Um, the get the government out of my life, the freedom movement. He's, he's that guy, right? So I have no criticism of that. And there's a big and growing streak of that in me as well. I think until March 2020, I didn't realize what serious jeopardy we were in and how the people who are comprised the, the power structure of the world don't, don't necessarily have our, our best interests at stake. And our best interests may be in conflict with what they consider to be their best interests as in power and control, right? So. Very much like I went out on lecture tour and went to 450 cities and 10,000 people showed up in my audiences live and millions on my website to teach them how in 10 minutes a day, you could get more whole foods into your diet and start getting well and start losing weight. And, you know, all the things that North Americans are so concerned about, I feel very, very similarly about this, that I need to wake up as many people as I can be a watchman on the tower again, where... It, the sooner you learn about this, the better. And so I just feel really called to talk about it. I also want to share this with my children. Um, all of my children are born in uh, within a three-week period of each other. And the first birthday happens <laughs> next week. And so I've told my kids, set up a Coinbase account, and I'm going to put your birthday present in there, and then going to talk you through how to buy... Uh, Bitcoin in there. Instead of buying them the Bitcoin, I want them to know how to do it. And of course, they have to promise me that they keep it. Okay. And not day trade with it, right? That's not a good use of Bitcoin day trading. So I think, um, 
something that's really exciting that we can use as an example is if you've been in the TAF Insiders Mastermind, we've, we've been talking a lot about what the ramifications are that there's now a country that has adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. Okay. Here in the United States, it's property, right? And I kind of like it to stay that way because if it's property, if it's digital property, we just tokenize property. It means you don't have to own real estate, which by the way, is a super big hassle, especially right now with all the rent moratoriums going into a second year now of people being told they don't have to pay their rent. I mean, they're never going to catch up. I mean, sure, their rent gets just tacked on at the end, but we know how the whole debt situation looks and it's it's not pretty. So I don't like being a landlord. I don't like that gold hasn't gone up since since uh, March of 2020. Um, I don't like that people get whacked for owning gold um, and silver. I don't like that you can't travel with it. You can't take it through, you know, you can't take a box of gold if you can even carry it through uh, through TSA, right? This digitizes property for the first time. And, and I think um, that that is going to change the world. Okay. I told you that Bitcoin is for the rich and for the middle class, but Bitcoin is the most exciting for the poor. And this week I saw a, um, a snow cone stand <laughs> in El Salvador where, like I said, they are now, they are now officially using Bitcoin as legal tender. They, their currency had failed very much like, you know, we're seeing early signs of the dollar in massive decline and possibly going into hyperinflation. I mean, hyperinflation or deflation, I'm not sure. I don't understand necessarily all the monetary policy and fiscal policy tricks that they play, um, these slates of hand. All I know is that my my dollars don't feel very safe, right? I mean, I, I do know a little bit more than that, but and I, and I'm not going to go so far as to say is that we are fully in hyperinflation because the inflation seems to be going up and down and some things the prices are going up and some things aren't. Um, I wouldn't say that we're yet quite in hyperinflation, but you know, I think it means something that in the last 15 months, they've expanded the M2 monetary supply. They've dumped 40% more money into our economy. I don't see how that could not lead to significant inflation, but this snow cone stand in El Salvador. There was this woman who was selling snow cones for 25 cents via a lightning app. Now, lightning is a network that can run on the top of Bitcoin and she can take for, for practically free, um, she can take payments, um, on your Bitcoin. And so, and then there's another story that I saw in some media. I'll try and look for this and put this story in the, uh, show notes is that there's a man who, is emblematic of or representative of the over 2 billion people is what is there 8 billion people in the planet and a quarter of us are unbanked literally do not have a bank account do not have an, an ID card many of them um you know those of us in the first world take credit cards for granted but there's a quarter of the world who has no access to credit you guys and so there's a story about a man who spends 2 hours every month on a bus going to where he then has to stand in line for two hours to pay his electric bill. Okay. And that's just his electric bill. Like that's not getting into how he gets food and how he pays the rent and so many other things. Well, guess what? This man now can pay uh, his electric bill on his phone. Even most of the third world, right? Has, has uh, smartphones now using the strike app. Okay. By a company called Zap which is Jack Mahler's company. And there's another one called the Breeze app. There are um, small businesses all the way from Canada to El Salvador to Australia that I'm reading about that are now taking payment. 
I mean, to rent a kayak, for instance, uh, I saw a business like that that is now only taking payment through the Breeze app. Okay. And so it doesn't really matter that Bitcoin is slow, um, that the trans- transactions are slow and that the fees are high because on, on layer two above that technologies are emerging that are beyond exciting. So just think of Bitcoin as the base layer and these layer two applications on the lightning network are going to truly, uh, change the world. El Salvador didn't, uh, didn't choose Bitcoin by the decree of some, you know, king. It was a super majority of its legislature, a super majority. So, you know, they were all for it to adopt Bitcoin as a government approved currency. So I mentioned before that their, their currency failed and that, and we've seen that happen throughout history. In fact, um, most fiat currencies last a hundred, maybe 200 years. The U.S. dollar is going on. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure if it happened in 1776. A lot of things have happened with the dollar. Um, did you know that gold was illegal for 41 years? Yeah. A lot of that was in my lifetime. Gold was illegal. That's another, another thing that as I look at the fact that I've always been a saver, I've always lived on less than I earn. I, I've never lived a super expensive lifestyle. Um, and yet I've been successful and I'm like, okay, so what do I do with what I thought was my retirement? I look at gold and I'm like, most of the countries of the world, I can think of very few places in the world. I've read whole books about gold. Um, I think Geneva, Switzerland, and maybe one other city in Europe are the only places where at some point gold wasn't made illegal. I mean, you had to turn it into the U.S. government in uh, whenever it was, the 1940s, I believe, under, I believe, FDR. You had to turn in your gold and get $35 an ounce for it. And then, of course, once they round up all that gold, all of a sudden it jumped in price by like three or 400%. So a lot of, a lot of countries in the world, their currencies have failed and El Salvador is one of them. So their currency became worthless. And so they went to the American dollar. But, you know, these people who run El Salvador are uh, pushing the envelope and doing courageous things that are, are good for their people and good for um, helping develop that nation because they see what's happening to the dollar. And so I think they've made a very smart and very historic move. So anyway, be just be thinking about how exciting it is that 25% of the world has no credit score, has no credit card, has uh, no bank account and no, in many cases, no identification and Bitcoin's for them. Okay. It's to me, the most exciting thing about it. Uh, here are some just quick things about Bitcoin that feel free to write this down as you're considering it. And you're like, well, what exactly is it? Because, you know, lots of people who don't understand it have a lot of negative things to say about it. But the deeper I go in listening to people who have invested millions and billions of their own dollars or their own company's dollars in it. I mean, Michael Saylor of, of, uh, micro strategy invested uh, it took a billion dollars out of his company and guess what happened to his stock? You would think that a bunch of his stockholders would be angry. No, his stock like tripled in price. So there's a lot of people who approve of what he's doing and how, how cutting edge he is. In fact, he's out there early doing this, but other, other companies are doing it. This is the fastest adoption of technology in history. Uh, people are adopting uh, Bitcoin 
and getting into Bitcoin and getting onto, for instance, Coinbase. I'm buying stock in Coinbase. I think it's a really good investment. Um, faster than any other technology, including the internet, including smartphones. So here's kind of a few things to think about. Bitcoin is digital gold. Okay. Let's say that you wanted to invest in uh, Los Angeles. I don't know why you want to invest in Los Angeles. It's kind of going to the dogs right now, but you know, it's, it, it requires a lot to buy a piece of land there or a building. Uh, everything is going to be digitized. That is my prediction. The more I study, the more I think everything will be tokenized and digitized. And so someone in El Salvador can't buy a piece of a building in Los Angeles, nor is it easy to sell it because who wants it? Only people who are doing business in Los Angeles, right? But a person in El Salvador can scrimp and save and in six months have $275 worth of digital gold, for instance, if you think of Bitcoin that way. I think it's the best form of money that's ever been created. It has built-in scarcity. It is durable. Okay, It's not going to break down. They can't take it from us. I mean, I suppose that individually, like they could torture, torture us or something, but like, you know, that would be very labor intensive for them. I mean, government just doesn't have that kind of will or that kind of manpower, but they can't collectively take it from us. Uh, it is global. You can send money on a Sunday morning across country borders. That has never been possible before. It's the most censorship resistant form of property or money. It's the easiest to send. It's the easiest to save. It's the least stressful. I can tell you that as a landlord who just had to evict someone for being so alcoholic that the neighbors were having to pull them out of the bushes every day. Uh, no, no uh, stress like that. I guess you do have the stress with Bitcoin of the volatility, but if you get in as a, don't get in there as a, as a trader. If you're in there as a trader or a speculator and you're hoping it goes up in three weeks, then just don't invest in it. Invest in something else. But if you are interested in the long term and if you're interested in a store of value, then, um, and I am not a financial advisor and this is not financial advice. All I'm doing is telling you about my research and my thoughts because I think what's missing out there is high level analysis for beginners. And if you go out there and you listen to what's on YouTube, you can get very frustrated very quickly. So in my opinion, or my conclusion has been for my own money is that, it, that investing in Bitcoin and Ethereum to a lesser extent, but I'm getting less and less interested in altcoins and more and more interested in staying mostly in Bitcoin and, and also Ethereum. A lot of people think Ethereum will outpace uh, Bitcoin. And I, I can see the arguments why. I mean, I'm concerned about the fact that Bitcoin has to go to, uh, you know, it needs a major overhaul. So Bitcoin, or sorry, Ethereum 2.0. I may have said Bitcoin, I meant Ethereum. Ethereum 2.0 is coming. And so if you invest in it now, it's probably part of what's keeping it around $2,000 when it should be worth a lot more than that is that we have to go through a transition. So you have to have some confidence in that transition. Um, but there are just tons and tons of nodes on, uh, on Ethereum and it's, it's uh, value and it's use cases are just almost endless. So. I I just think that Bitcoin is the best hedge against the central banks printing money and the best hedge against the devaluation of our currencies. I mean, some of you are listening to this from Canada where you have a, do- a different dollar and some of you are listening to this from um, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, where you may have a different dollar or you have the 
you have different currencies. So putting digital property on the iPhones of 8 billion people is going to be completely transformational. Some of the criticism up till now, um, or not even criticism, but just kind of like the questions that people ask because they don't understand it has been that, you know, these crypto vehicles like Bitcoin have been seen kind of like a nerdy computer programming project. Um, but I think that with Congress and with Biden talking about putting another up to $6 trillion into the economy by the end of 2021, potentially, who knows what the actual rate of inflation is. There's just a raging debate out there about whether you go with the consumer price index, which is, uh, you know, maybe three, four or 5%. And that doesn't seem terrible. Um, but then people say, but wait a minute, you can't dump 40% more money in 15 months into the economy and then say that the consumer price index is the only measure of inflation. It's actually way higher than that. But we really do have to take a look at what has happened in, in countries like Lebanon and Venezuela and Zimbabwe, where they literally had inflation that was 1 million percent. And they too have cent- central banks and you know, I have said before that when when it's possible for some entity to just print money, why you know it's kind of the beginning of the end, right? We know we know where this where this story ends. It ends in the destruction of that fiat currency. So four types of people who are into Bitcoin. Um, you may think of more types. If so, write me because I'm just learning everything that I can. I have been for many, many months now. But number one, there's the Bitcoin maximalists. And if you hear that word, generally it's referring to people who they're in Bitcoin for the 100 year plan. Okay. They're really interested in freedom and democracy and taking our power back. They tend to be people who know a lot about what the central banks have done to us. I, I'm trying to think who it is who said if Americans knew what the central banks were doing, they would all be rioting in the street by tomorrow. Um, I don't actually think that's true because I've watched Americans you know, shake their fist and do next to nothing as, you know, an American presidency was stolen from us, which is essentially the end of democracy, unless we're able to get it back. Um, I've seen Americans be quite outraged by, uh, you know, this, you know, completely outrageous loss of our medical freedom and pretty much do nothing about it. I'm not saying no individuals do. And, and I'm not saying that there's some obvious thing that we can come together and do because gosh, I have been involved in just about every kind of um, organization to stand up for our rights and our freedom and our children's future that there is. And here we still are. So it's not really a criticism so much of, of people as much as, wow, our enemies certainly have been planning this for a long time and have thought of everything. So that too just makes Bitcoin all that much more important. So those are the Bitcoin maximalists. These are your freedom types. John McAfee, who just died, they say he died of suicide. He had said for a year before that, don't let anybody tell you I committed suicide. He even had the word whacked um, tattooed onto his arm. And he said, if I die, don't let them tell you it's suicide. They whacked me. He was one of the most uh, out there uh, pushing the envelope angry at the government, uh, you know, advocates for freedom that, that there is in this world. So that, that would be a perfect example of a Bitcoin maximalist. So number two, and uh, this is probably where I most land, is that some are buying Bitcoin for the non-sovereign store of value. 
Okay. Non-sovereign being, it's not the dollar. It's not sponsored by the United States government who I don't trust. So the non-sovereign store of value inflation hedge, I can see that we are primed whether massive inflation happens now or in five years or whenever, I think we're very primed for hyperinflation. Um, these tend to be people who are a little bit aware at least of what happened in Syria and what happened in Lebanon, what happened in Zimbabwe, where people lost their life savings. And, and it didn't take years. They didn't have a lot of warning. In some cases, it was like overnight. I mean, there have been banks in many countries where people thought that their money was safe. And then overnight, they were told that their money was getting slashed by 90%. So for instance, uh, uh, I believe that Ar- Argentina, I think Argentina did that. So number three category, some people are interested in Bitcoin because they're tech investors. They love technology. And that these are people who, who tend to have more like a t- 10-year time frame. And they're starting to become aware because they're sort of tech savvy that we're moving towards a world where everything is tokenized. You are, you are, as Ellison McDowell told us when she was talking about the dark side of the blockchain. And I truly believe that there's a dark side of the, of the blockchain and there's freedom in the blockchain. It just depends on who gets control of it and how much of this we can roll out before they try to take control of the world and put us all on the blockchain in ways that, um, the ways that will make Chairman Mao look like a saint. So these tech people, um, you know, they know that the dot-com bubble burst, right? And they probably were involved back then. They were probably out there buying up all kinds of URLs. And, and you know, some of them, I know M- Michael Saylor was out there buying up, you know, URLs in the very early days, like love.com and hope.com. In fact, hope.com is his website. And he has lots of his talks are there. And um, Gary Ginsler, who is one of the um, most important and influential uh, financial people in the United States. I'm trying to think if he used to be over the SEC entirely. I think he was a SEC director at one point, maybe, but he has a whole series out there on Bitcoin and it's on Michael Saylor's website, hope.com. You can check that out. But, you know, this type of investor, they may have, like Michael Saylor did, they may have figured out at some point during the dot com, dot com uh, craze that the winners were emerging and Michael Saylor invested in Apple, Google, Facebook, and Twitter and Amazon. Well, I don't know about Twitter, but the, those four giants, Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon, you know, at some point it became clear that those four were going to be the ones that went to the moon. And so he held those. And if you hold those for 10 years, you know, you're going to be rich. And so it's starting to become clear in this new a breakthrough of crypto, which ones are going to be the big winners? And it's pretty obvious the role that Bitcoin is going to play. So then fourth, there's the traders and the speculators. And like I said, I, I, I'm i not giving financial advice, but it just seems to me like you shouldn't do it. Um, you shouldn't do the whole like short-term trading. I'm trying to get rich on Bitcoin. Unless you have some tools that you really trust. If you have a day trading platform that you know a lot about, maybe you've already done day trading really successfully. Um, and if you can afford to lose what you're investing, but my experience with these people who are just sort of speculating and they're looking for a get rich quick scheme is that they actually can't afford to lose the money that they're putting in there. It's, it's all of their liquidity. And so I just want to caution against that, um, caution against 
if you find that greed and fear are driving you, um, I think the folks that are um, investing in Bitcoin speculatively, some of them are even borrowing to be able to do it. Then when Bitcoin price goes down, they're the ones who are selling in mass. And it's because they're panicking because, because they borrowed to invest. And so, you know, these are the folks who are really at high risk um, for the volatility. The rest of you, you know, at the time that I'm recording this, uh, Bitcoin's trading at about 30,000, which is an incredible deal. And it's entirely possible that it goes, it goes down more, could be down to 20,000. I seriously doubt it will go lower than that. But I also believe that it'll be 100,000 and probably before too long, probably in the next year or so. So um, these speculator types, they tend to talk a lot about Bitcoin versus the altcoins. And the speculators tend to be really drawn to the altcoins because they, they're hoping that they can buy them for 50 cents and it goes to 500 bucks or maybe 10,000 bucks and boom, they're rich. So, you know, I'm not trying to say that these are bad people or that they're doing something wrong. I'm saying it's highly, highly risky and that these are the folks who are getting into Bitcoin that um, aren't fully understanding what exactly its value is. So I think it's really exciting just to wrap up. I think it's exciting that, that, and I think it's even an economic imperative. I think that's a word I got from Michael Saylor. It's an economic imperative that we give 8 billion people uh, via their phone, which the vast majority of them have anyway. We give them a non-sovereign store of value. We give them for the first time in their lives, a quarter of us, the ability to hold property. I also really like about Bitcoin that it's 13 years old now and there's no company that's in charge of it, right? Like Facebook, it's a trillion dollar uh, breakthrough in technology, but but there's a company in, and they're making decisions right now that really affect those of us who've invested 13 years of our lives only to find that they have an agenda and that we are the product. They don't make money on us talking to each other unless we are the product and they sell our information and they basically want all of us natural health people gone. They're deplatforming us right and left. And even worse, if we criticize the, the whole vaccine agenda where we're only allowed to say good things about the vaccine, we aren't allowed to ask questions. We aren't allowed to look at the science that is not supportive. We're not allowed to look at the science of how many people are dying and, and, and ending up with severe diseases. So what I like here is that Bitcoin really can't be like Apple and Google and Amazon and Facebook. I just, those four tech giants, three of them have seriously hurt my own small business to the point that I'll be amazed if it's still around in two years. Um, the only one of those four that hasn't hurt my business is Apple. And, um, you know, I think that's because Apple doesn't see us as the product so much. Like they can sell phones and phone service and make lots of money, but they do have lots of information on us and they are poised to be extremely powerful in our lives ongoing. So there's millions of small businesses uh, around the world who the owner of them are in the same boat I'm in. So I'm just saying that the harm that those three huge tech giants have done, I mean, a lot of people would say Google has given us free information. Well, they did in the beginning, right? But then the more powerful they got, the richer they got, the more sold out they got. Now they don't want you to see any health information that isn't selling patented drugs and vaccines. So more and more we're seeing crimes against us because they're so, they're so powerful. And it's really hard, even with 
You know, Trump is trying to do a class action lawsuit against these tech giants. Um, DeSantis and the Florida legislature have said that you can sue Facebook for up to $100,000 per incident for the harm to you if, if they censored you. I mean, the harm to my business that Facebook has done after I invested 13 years in them and built their their platform and probably spent half a million dollars in ads, it's incalculable. But the hard thing is, is how do you even prove it? Because it's their algorithms that I can't see, that I can't see and touch that did the did the harm. So look at how some of these companies have changed the world. We can listen to music digitally. I mean, as I'm as I'm moving here, I found a big box of my CDs and my kids' CDs and I threw them away. I hate to say it, but nobody wants it, right? So now we can stream music digitally. That was such a huge breakthrough. We can listen to books digitally um, and podcasts. And so information is plentiful. It's free. You can get a free education. Um, since I've been listening to Michael Saylor so much, not to obsess about him, but he does such a great job of boiling down the essence of why Bitcoin is such a breakthrough. And I want to be part of that. I want to be part of helping wake people up to what it really is. He, his mission in life, I don't think he has any children. He doesn't have any heirs, but he's trying to make education free. And, and it should be, and it can be with digital streaming. Unfortunately, I think, um, you know, I think it's a bad thing in the world that we are going to a, a version of life where, you know, we could just like never leave our home. And, you know, I think they want it so that those of us who don't get on the vaccine bandwagon and get whatever vaccine they're wanting us to get this year, that we, they want us to not even be able to leave our home more and more and more. I mean, yesterday I was driving, uh, as we, we've been taking stuff down from Park City to our home down in Utah Valley, a rental property that I had, um, that we're going to, so we can keep a home base here in Utah. And I drove past a billboard that said, you know, air quality will be bad tomorrow. Consider working remotely. And to a lot of people who, think that the media has no agenda and is just giving you news would it would just be like oh thanks for letting us know the air is going to be bad there's actually a total storm going on at the time cleaning the air up and to me you know my guess is it's just all part of this agenda to make all of us work from home and make all of life be livable remotely so that they can just lock us down and i think that this fall and winter unfortunately i think we we've just seen the beginning of lockdowns now it's a thing but anyway, the point is that we can, whether it's good or bad or right or wrong is a side issue. I think it's really, really great that we can get so educated um, by digital means, right? We used to have to pay a lot of money and relocate ourselves to the place where the university is and come out of school with lots and lots of debt. So I like Michael Saylor's idea. It's not his fault that we are moving to an almost completely virtual world. And I think that we were all happier before we were all in this virtual world. But but look how life-changing it's been that our relationships have gone digital. How many friends do you have just because you're on Facebook or wherever it is that you have invested your time? I am not really... I don't do a whole lot on Instagram. I don't, I don't do anything on Twitter, but you know, I have some really good friends that it all started on Facebook. So if you think all of those are life changing, that are world changing, think about how big of a deal it is that we are, have now digitized property. That's what Bitcoin does. Anybody with a smartphone 
That is the power and the value of Bitcoin is that for the first time ever, we have digitized property and made it very, very mobile. So partly Bitcoin's a technology play. It's an open, trustless system. The system and the network itself are part of what's so great about it. And I don't think anybody can catch up to it. I don't think anybody can do what Bitcoin has managed to do over the last 13 years, but it's also partly a monetary play. It's digital gold. And what I started to say earlier is just that, you know, you've got Facebook and Google and Twitter and Apple, and you can, you can really argue and, oh, Microsoft. You can argue that what those people with that amount of power have, has done, have done is a really bad idea. And that we should be really nervous about that kind of centralized control, right? But, but what I like about Bitcoin here is not only that it's inflation proof and has, has no, it's not tied to the, to the US dollar, but I also really like that there's no company. Okay. There's no 40,000 employees like Facebook has where they just pay tons of people who will lose their job if they don't go around playing whack-a-mole with all the people trying to teach you how to eat, how to, you know, eat better and live a more natural, non-toxic life. People like me who are constantly getting whacked on the head by these tech giants. So Bitcoin is um, inflation proof, but also I think that a lot of Americans are getting interested in it and major companies are investing in it because it's so decentralized. I haven't talked a lot about that, but that's one of the things about it that makes it so great. Venmo and PayPal have even made a move towards Bitcoin. They'll let you use their platform as an on-ramp for Bitcoin. Um, I'm not doing it because right now you can buy it, but you can't spend the money and you can't even take it out. So probably someday they'll do that. They just want to get in the game right now. They want to get their toe in the door. But um, some of the larger uh, platforms like Coinbase and Gemini have FDI, FDIC insurance, if that even means anything to you. If you trust the government, if, if you trust the ungovernment, if you trust the government, you've got FDI insurance on at least Coinbase and Gemini. So one a uh, couple quick little comments I want to make before I wrap up is there are a lot of scams out there. So like, for instance, if you go to buy Ethereum, you might end up buying one of the things that forked off of Ethereum and have really not uh, been successful. And in some cases, you can't even uh, get your money out of the platform. So make sure you're buying the right one. Uh, try not to get shiny object syndrome. It's so easy to do. And there's now over 9,000 registered cryptocurrency projects. Um, I did just this week uh, see a talk that Elon Musk gave. And he basically, you know, lives in like 400 square feet now. I don't know if it's an RV or what it is. I didn't get that detail, but um, he basically owns nothing now. He sold all but like one of his houses. And he said that the only thing he owns besides his own stock in his companies, which is what SpaceX and Tesla. And here he is, the wealthiest guy in the world. The only other things he owns are Bitcoin, Ethereum, and this is a whole other side topic. I don't think that you should go crazy on Doge just because Elon Musk does, but Doge, those are the only things he owns besides uh, his own company's stock. So that's just a final thought uh, to consider. We would love to have you in the TAF Insiders Mastermind. It's TAF is short for Take Action for Freedom because I put a website up called takeactionforfreedom.com. I put it up in March of 2020 because I was like, what can I do to be part of change in the world? Because I don't like what's happening. And so I put that website up. I didn't have a full vision of what it would become. But, you know, a year in, 
when I found out that the Bitcoin that I bought at the very beginning of this crisis had had increased in value by 800%, I started to go down that rabbit hole. And I had just seen it as a hedging my bets, you know, getting my my store of value away from the dollar. I knew that much about it. But since then, I've decided to devote more time to it. It is absolutely worth more of your time. This is where the world is going. It's not simple. Um, there's a lot of technology involved. And I'm not saying that you have to learn technology like a computer programmer would. But I am saying that if the world is going towards cryptocurrencies, and if the early adopters are going to be the ones who win, and the people who are just like, no, I'm sticking with my dollars, uh, and the, those dollars are going to become worth less and less, I just think it's worth some of your time. So go over to takeactionforfreedom.com slash crypto and join us. Okay. So take action for freedom. We shortened it to TAF. And the reason why is that on all of these uh, platforms, they hate the word freedom. They literally go after every single page that has the word freedom in it. My take action for freedom page on Facebook was growing by 500 a day in 2020 and they just destroyed it. I had a Utah freedom page. It was there was a day that that 2200 people joined that page and I accepted them all and none of them showed up. Nobody ever was accepted into that group again. Facebook just said it so that it could not grow. And those are just two of the many, many ways that Facebook has punished anybody advocating for freedom. So we just have to get really clear on who our friends and our enemies are here. And I think that being involved in this movement, like you might be more interested in how can I protect my savings and nobody would blame you. And that's a very good idea. But let's also just really think about the fact that this is a movement and ask ourselves whether we want to be involved in it. Okay. I personally do not want to in five or 10 years if my parents lose lose their retirement, I don't want them to be like, oh, wait, your, your money 200x and I lost my retirement. Um, I don't want them to say, why didn't you tell me? I don't want them to say, wait, you did hundreds and hundreds of hours of research and you didn't talk to me about it. So when my dad was visiting me in Florida and my newly a divorced sister with who's a single mom of four kids now, sounds familiar, right? Both of us, both. We have six brothers, but she's my only sister. Um, I got both of them to listen to my webinar on this topic. So if you're interested in joining our mastermind, remember that just buying some Bitcoin is one thing. And that's how I started. But I think there's a journey we need to take here together. And that's why we started the mastermind. Go check it out at takeactionforfreedom.com slash crypto. And I will see you guys next time. 